Let's pray together. Uh, gracious God, we're here with you and um, glad to be so. Lord, we just recognize the incredible privilege it is to uh, have Scripture and to allow that Scripture, by the work of your Spirit, to penetrate our minds and our hearts and, and to change us, uh, to lead us more fully into kingdom living. And our God, we pray that in these moments that is, is, uh, these words are spoken and as this passage is unpacked, that truly we will know your ministry in our lives, that you'll open our minds and our hearts to the way of Jesus, and that you'll transform our minds and our hearts so that we can be more like him. So God, bless us uh, in, these, in these moments that we spend with you. Come, Holy Spirit, and penetrate the heart of each of us as we seek you. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're well into our uh, series uh, about the living in the kingdom of heaven. Our call to live like Jesus, uh, and even more so to be like Jesus, to become like him. And I want to challenge you with a question as we begin today. Are you changing because of what the word of God is saying uh, in, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount? You know, all this talk of Jesus and his unique and distinct and different way. Is it causing you to grow? Is it causing you to become a different person? Because quite frankly, that's what this is all about. It's not just to inform your mind, it's to impact your heart and to change you, uh, of course, in terms of how we live. For example, are you using your money differently than before that sermon I preached a couple of weeks ago about not loving money but uh, loving God? Are you worrying less and trusting God a whole lot more, focusing your life on the kingdom of, of heaven and God's righteousness? Are you loving your wife and your husband and your parent by submitting to them willingly and freely out of love? Because you see, the Sermon on the Mount, this, this, this teaching that Jesus gave is, is a call to radically different living. Um so that we might align our lives with the reality of the truth of the kingdom of heaven. The issue we're going to talk about today is, I think, probably the most personally challenging topic that we'll look at in this series. It's illustrated for us by Jesus as we read about him hanging on the cross and dying for us. Now, it's a remarkable thing that he did that willingly. Like, that's stunning when you think of it, that the Son of God would be willing to do that for us. But what I think is just as remarkable is that while he was dying, he prayed for the people who were killing him. Uh, Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They don't, do not know what they are doing. See, he prayed for those guards who drove the nails into his hands and his feet. And he prayed for those religious leaders, those priests and, and others who stood at that place and mocked him and found pleasure in his suffering and in his death. Um, instead of cursing them, he blessed them. Now, listen to this text. It's Jesus, some years earlier, teaching. Matthew 5, 43 and 44. It says this. You have heard it said that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You hear that? 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Isn't that what Jesus was doing as he was hanging on the cross and praying for his killers? Um, a remarkable thing where he actually acted for their good, their well-being. He actually advocated for them before God. That's radical. That's incredibly different from what anybody else would do. It's remarkable. And my friends, it's what Jesus instructs his people to do when they are wronged and when they are harmed. Um, to pray for our enemies, to love our enemies, be good to them. Now, the question of the day is who is your enemy? One of, one of the, the things that I want you to grasp in this series is how dramatic these instructions of Jesus are and that he actually wants us to take them seriously and enact them in our lives. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Who's your enemy? The way I define enemy very simply is this. It's anyone who wants to harm you or who has harmed you. Think about an enemy in a war. What, 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 do, what do the two sides in a war want to do to their enemy? They want to harm their enemy. They actually want to kill their enemy in order to win the war. And the word uh, enemy uh, has at its root the idea of, of hostility. The definition is, is a definition which is one who is intent on inflicting harm. You understanding the level that I'm speaking of at this point? And can you bring that understanding to your own life? Who is your enemy? Who wants to harm you? Who wants to inflict harm on you? Maybe more precisely, who's done that already and who has caused real wounding and hurt in your life? That's your enemy. I think the more you can bring this to reality in your life by knowing who your enemy is, the more this is going to strike home with you today. So if you can think of that person, please do so. And you know what? And when we actually come to a place of recognizing who that enemy is, when we know who it is, and we begin to think about Jesus' instruction, we recognize usually the last thing in the earth we want to do is to love them, to be good to them, to bless them. Um, you know, as is the case in other texts, here we are again, we're given a reason why Jesus wants us to think and to act in this fashion. And what he goes on to do is to describe the reality that we are to love our enemies simply because that's what God does. That's who God is. That's what God is like. Let me read again verse 44, but then 45. He says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, God's not discriminating with his love. God is, is a God of love who loves everyone. And I want to tell you, if we are in God's kingdom, it is God who gets to establish the norms of the kingdom. And if we are in God's kingdom, you know, if we have come to believe in this Jesus and, and his dying on the cross and that that dying was literally for us, if we've come to the place of faith in him, uh, trusting him, rooting our lives in him and in his word and in his truth, if we've come to, into the kingdom of heaven and have come to that place where God's spirit dwells in us, that Holy Spirit loves our enemies and he wants us to love them too. Now, this is a radical thought, but it's, 
the call of Christ in our lives. As challenging and as difficult as that might be. Let me go on, 46 to 48. If you love those who love you, what reward will, will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? What Jesus is saying is everybody loves people who love them. There's nothing different or distinct or radical in that. That's just the norm. That's how every human being tends to live. But what Jesus then does in calling his people to something dramatically different, radically different, is to conclude with verse 48. It says this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what I want to do <laughs> as I point out to you the, the idea that we are called to be like God, read to you the same text from the message uh, paraphrase, because I think it captures something for us. It says this, In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Isn't that powerful? You see, what Jesus is saying is this is the way of God and this is the way of the kingdom of heaven. As a result, join us in this, he's saying. Be like me. Have my heart. Now, I think we can all recognize this is not an easy thing to do for many of us. As a matter of fact, this is a really difficult and a hard thing to do. Many people who have been harmed or hurt by an enemy hear this teaching and their response is, Jesus, you've got to be kidding me. You actually want me to love people who have wronged me and who have harmed me and who have hurt me. The deeper the wound, the deeper the hurt, the more likely it is that it'll be harder not only to do, but even to hear. I understand that. People are probably going to say, you know, well, maybe I will submit to my husband and to my wife and to my parent out of love. I, you know, I, I, I can consider that. I can do that. Maybe I will spend my money differently. Yeah, that, you know, I get it. But I got to tell you, this goes too far. This is crossing a line. This is where I draw the line, if you would. Probably the best that most Jesus followers can manage uh, is to not retaliate, to leave it to God to judge and, to, and so forth, to bring justice. But to love them, to pray for them, to bless them, to be good to them, I, I think that for many of us, and often myself included, there is not much in our hearts which would desire that or be willing to engage that. You know, this all ties into Matthew 5, 21 and 22. It's previous teaching in this same text, which I'm going to read to you right now. Listen to this. Jesus again speaking, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger. Listen, of the fire of hell. Strong words. 
And what Jesus is describing is this internal condition, which often produces murder, but he's saying that internal condition in the eyes of God is equivalent to murder. What is that? First of all, we call others raka. Now, that's a word in the original language that has as its root to spit. It's to disdain someone. I spit on you, you know? But then Jesus goes further and he says, but if you call that person fool, you're in danger of the fire of hell. The Greek word uh, that is, is translated fool is more in Greek, and it's the word from which we get our English word moron. Are you beginning to see the picture when, when we despise a person in our heart to this extent? The Lord Jesus is saying it's the equivalent of murder in the eyes of God. The heart is the critical dynamic that is being des- described here. And that kind of heart, Jesus is saying, is completely out of alignment with the kingdom of heaven and with its king. It isn't that somehow some, uh, how the way we live, isn't it, isn't it the reality of our experience too often? So, if it's that hard for us to contemplate and for us to do, how do you actually get there? Well, I want to tell you, you, we have to encounter a radical change of heart first. Jesus speaks to the heart in what I just described to you and indeed this entire sermon. Because a change of heart will produce a radically different life, behavior, which is then in line with the heart. Often what happens on our journey toward that Jesus-like heart and Behavior is that we begin to realize that God loved us so much while we were still his enemy that Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, check it out if you wish. It's how God treated us, so we must treat others in that way. When we really start to grasp the fact that God showed us grace before we showed him love, before we responded to him, and grace is blessing us. It's not just withholding judgment. It's, it's actually blessing us with goodness. We recognize we have to be gracious with others. If we enter into this kingdom dynamic and the love of God fills our hearts because God's spirit dwells with us, that love starts to seep into the broken places of our hearts and into our woundedness. And all of a sudden we find hatred being expelled and love being the condition of our hearts because God is there. I want to suggest to you um, what I'm describing is a very spiritual dynamic. It's a supernatural act of God. It is a miracle that God enacts within us. It's the only way that it can happen. But it can happen. And it's what Jesus calls us to. Now I want to note this before I go on and we leave this passage in, in, in earlier in chapter 5. Note how Jesus is telling us that to love our enemies and to not call, call people raka or you fool, to have the right heart is, is not an option. Because if we engage in that, we are, to use the words of Jesus, in danger of the fires of hell. Profound teaching that we need to take seriously. Here's the issue. Here's the truth that lies at the, at the heart of this teaching. That hearts which have been transformed love. I want you to hear that. 
hearts which have been transformed by the presence of the Spirit of God, love. Um, and those hearts, having been transformed by God, become like the heart of God. See, the whole Sermon in the Mount, on the Mount is about a new heart and a new way of living as a result. Hearts that have been transformed are filled with love so that we can, and humility, so that we can submit to our spouses and we can submit to our parents in love. Hearts that have been transformed do trust God more profoundly. We have to learn this, but we move into it. We, we unpackage the truth of the reality that this series is about. And we start to focus our lives way more on God's kingdom and way more on his righteousness. And we stop worrying about the things that God will provide for us and we trust him. Hearts that have been transformed, they don't really value wealth. It's not the preoccupation of our lives anymore. It's the kingdom of God. It's the will of God. It's, it's, it's people. It's doing what God is calling us to you see, my friends, when the heart is transformed, in this context, in this teaching, we love. Famous story of a woman named Corrie Ten Boom. Some of you may have heard this story, but it's, it's, it just illustrates powerfully what's being described here in Jesus' teaching. Uh, she was living in Holland at the time of the Second World War, and she and her family, her parents and her sister, uh, would hide Jews from the Nazis. Otherwise, these people would be carted off to the concentration camps and, as we know, killed. Well, with time, they were discovered by uh, the authorities and they were sent to a concentration camp named Ravensbrück. And there, um, she and her sister were together, but they were treated terribly. Her parents were carted off to a different concentration camp, never to be seen again. They were murdered. But in Ravensbrück, uh, her sister Betsy and, and Cory Ten Boom just treated horribly. They were, they were beaten and they were starved and they were abused. Um, in time, Betsy died. Her precious sister was gone. Cory Tamboom survived and was liberated at the end of the war. She became an author and a speaker. One day she was speaking in the United States and after the service, a man walked up to her and identified himself and she began to recognize this man as one of the guards from Ravensbrook, a, a cruel guard, a, cru a guard who had caused untold suffering in her sister's life and in her own life. This man had obviously come to Christ, his heart had been transformed, he had been made new, the old was gone, the new had come, to quote Paul. But what happened is he walked up to her, introduced himself and he put out his hand to Corrie Ten Boom uh, that he might shake it. And in that moment, Corrie Ten Boom had a decision to make. See, everything in her, everything in her didn't want to shake this man's hand. He was the abuser. He was the cruel one who would beat them. But she had a decision to make. And in that moment, she remembered whose she was. And in that moment, she remembered what Jesus had done for her on the cross. And in that moment, she remembered what God had called her to do as his child. And she made a decision and she reached out her hand and she shook that man's hand. And in that moment, she says, the hatred and the anger and the woundedness, the, 
the hurt began to fade away. And she forgave him, and love replaced the hatred that she had once held for her enemy. My friends, who is your enemy today? I know this is hard for some of you. The deeper the wound, the greater the challenge. I understand. But if you know who that enemy is, here's what I'd like you to do. Four-step process. If you'll step into it, if you're willing. Number one, start to pray for that person as Jesus prayed for his killers. And I'm not saying that you pray for them, that God will smite them, or that God will judge them. I want you to pray for them. Will you consider praying for their well-being? Will you consider praying that God would bless them? (laughs) I want to tell you as we start to do that, that's often the first step toward our hearts of bitterness and anger and woundedness starting to free up from those things so that hate is replaced with love. The first step. Secondly, like Jesus, will you consider the possibility of compassion toward those people? And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He understood where they were at in their hearts. He knew that they didn't know that he was the Son of God. You know, he knew of their brokenness and, the, and of their woundedness because it's part of all of us in the human race. He knew that they desperately needed God and God's blessing in their lives. My friends, I want to tell you, we don't know what wounds our enemies carry, but they carry woundedness. We don't know why they do what they do, but there are reasons for that. And what we do know is that they desperately need God. So have compassion. Open your heart to that possibility. and Let God lead. Number three, will you forgive them as God enables you? And I want to recognize sometimes this takes time. Um, and that's okay. But remember, like Corey Ten Boom and like Jesus as he was hanging on the cross, forgiveness ultimately is a decision of the mind and of the heart. And it takes place in the presence of God. Go into the presence of God. Pray about this. Ask the Lord to enable you to do this. And when he has enabled you to do it, in God's presence, forgive those who have wronged you. Just do it. Make a decision. And see what the Spirit of God does in your heart as a result. And then in the end, as you have come to that place through prayer and compassion and forgiveness where you were able to do so authentically, will you act in love toward your enemy? Will you bless them as Jesus would? What I'm calling you today, what Jesus is calling you today, not me, I'm the spokesperson, (laughs) What Jesus is calling all of us today to is radical. He himself said it. The rest of the world doesn't function this way. As a matter of fact, the rest of the world functions very differently than this. 
But what he's saying is, in my kingdom, this is how we are to, to be. This is how we are, therefore, to live. And I want to tell you, if we can embrace, embrace this radical forgiveness, love, blessing to our enemies, um, it will be transformative. It will. Our hearts will be transformed. Our understandings will be transformed. <laughs> and by the work of God, and it's only the work of God in us by His Spirit who can accomplish this. Hatred and anger and bitterness and resentment will be replaced with love. God will enable you. You will. And you know what? Through God's people, Jesus' people, the people of the kingdom of heaven, loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us, our world will be changed. It really will. Do you know violence begets violence and hatred begets hatred? Violence, whether it's physical or whether it's, it's, uh, it's of the heart, if it's relational, if I could put it that way. Violence begets violence and creates an ongoing cycle of woundedness and brokenness and, and hurt and of harm. And what Jesus is saying is, you, my people, you need to stop the cycle. <laughs> you need to, to allow the Lord to intervene in that so that hatred and Anger and woundedness uh, is replaced in the end with love. Can you imagine such a world where through what I'm describing and what Jesus is, is teaching and calling us to just permeates this world of ours, changes it? I want to tell you this. God can imagine such a world. And God is creating such a world through us. My friends, if, if we can step into this, God will make it happen. That's my assurance to you. This God of love, this God of compassion, this God of forgiveness, this God of grace, He will make it happen in you. Just invite Him in. Invite Him in to lead you in this, to change you, to change your heart, to bring you healing and freedom to change our world. Open your heart to his truth and to his spirit and follow in the way of Jesus. Final two questions. After all of this, so who is your enemy? Who is that person or persons? And what are you going to do about it this week? Gracious God, uh, we are called to something incredibly different. We are called by the supernatural work of your Holy Spirit to be like Christ, to exhibit the reality of God in and through our lives so that the whole world can see your reality, so that the whole world can find healing so that you can bring change powerfully into this world of ours by bringing change powerfully into our hearts. God, I would pray for every single person who has listened to this sermon today who is going to grapple with the implications of it in their lives. I pray, number one, that you'll give them an openness and a willingness 
to begin a journey toward loving and blessing and, uh, those who have hurt them, their enemies. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would move powerfully in the lives of all of us so that we can live radically out of radically healed and restored hearts which have been filled with love. God, we pray together that we might be a people in the midst of this world which embraces the reality of the kingdom of heaven, which embraces radically the way of the king of heaven, you, that we might honor you with our lives, that we might honor you in our hearts, in our minds. This world might be made new. God, work in us, we pray. Enable us. Do what we cannot do on our own, that we might be like Jesus, and that we might build the kingdom of heaven, be the transformative agents in this world that you call us to be. Help us, Lord. We need you to work. To that end, we pray, our God. And we do so in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us today. Um, I really trust God has spoken to you, as he has to me. And I trust that uh, you will take this truth and you will bring it into your lives and all the implications that it brings. God is with you. God will enable you. He will work the miracle. And you will know life and joy in him as a result. So, God bless you as you go. And we'll talk to you and we'll see you soon. Amen.